0: So today we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8 through 20. And uh, it's, it's such an interesting, interesting passage to be in. But let's take a moment real quick, just because it's who I am, and I like to talk about the, the, the nuances of why we're reading what we're reading and kind of set the stage. And so let's look at the background of this significant story. Luke is a companion book in the New Testament, It's part of a two-volume history that concludes with Acts. Um, Because of the similarities in different writing styles and other clues, it's believed that both books were authored by the same person. The two books are held together by a theme of the plan of God. The story in these books relate how God acted in Jesus to bring peace and justice into the world and how God continued this same mission through the apostles. So you can see how it started with Jesus and Luke and then goes into Acts and tells the story of, of Acts. The central emphasis in the Gospel of Luke is the role of Jesus as a prophet that spoke for God and who called his followers to be diligent in caring for those without status, particularly the sick, the lame, the blind, widows, Gentiles, and the poor. And we, t- we can see this idea in today's passage. And in fact, it's a wonderful thing that our story today should start, begin, start by telling the first announcement of God, and that it came to the shepherds, to the presence of God, and it came to shepherds. It starts in verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It's understood that this is a lowly job. Shepherding was, they they were despised by the orthodox, the quote-unquote good people of the day. They were unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law. They could not observe the meticulous hand-washing that the rules and regulations required. Could you imagine trying to keep your hands washed while fending, like taking care of sheep? I, I couldn't even believe trying to keep ceremonial hand-washing. My, my kids had the opportunity for a couple of years when we were living in Arlington to do to raise pigs. I couldn't even imagine trying to keep yourself clean. In fact, several times it was like, okay, there's the, 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 the pig. Okay. Just to try to keep yourself just slightly clean whenever you had to go and take care of the pigs. They were unable to keep the details of that ceremonial law's hand-washing. Their flocks made it far too had far too many and constant demands on them. And so the orthodox or the one way to say that, the religious people looked down on them. It was a simple man on the fields that message, that God's message first came. It was two simple men in the fields that God's message first came. In fact, one of the commentaries I read put it this way. Quote, "...the shepherds are living in the fields, which implies homelessness, a worse situation than being relegated to a stable like Mary and Joseph. Yet it is to these lowly shepherds that the angels chose to deliver the news of the Messiah's birth." Again, Luke is pointing out the shepherds as an example of God's choosing to favor the disfavored." End quote. So we can also look at how the religious establishment or the orthodox people felt about these people. If we look at the rule-keeping religious people, we see they were rituals that just don't fit in with the shepherding lifestyle. We've talked about that. Could you imagine how hard it would be to have been a shepherd and stay clean and washing yourself? I, 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 I say that, I repeat myself that the second time because... I just can't get over how hard it must have been. And in a world absolutely dictated by rule-keeping, I mean, absolutely dictated by rule-keeping. If you ever need an example of that, just read Matthew, because Jesus is constantly going against the rule-keeping. Here we have these shepherds who cannot live by these regulations. Next, we have the appearance of the angels in the sky, starting in verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. So let's see what their first response is. Oh, lo and behold, it's fear. (laughs) Anybody else read the Bible and experience that? Every single time somebody's in the Bible experiences either God or one of his messengers, boom, fear. Rightfully so, right? Joshua out in the, yep, ready to take on Jericho, meets an angel. What does he do? Whoa, dang, shiny guy with armor. Scary. And so what do we have? The very first thing are those oh-so-familiar words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This isn't part of my message, but how many times have you heard God speaking into your life something that causes you to fear? There's something God wants you to do in your life, and you're like, I am not the right person for that job. I don't know what to do there. I don't have the resources. I don't know what you're calling me to do, God. I feel this uneasiness in my spirit that you're asking me to be a part of something that I just don't feel good about doing. Because I can tell you over and over again, every single time I read my Bible and I see people getting called by God, that is the response that they do. You got the wrong guy. My favorite example of that is Gideon. What does he say? I am the least of my family, which is the least in my tribe, which is the least in all of Israel. And you want me to lead your army? Got the wrong guy. Goes on to test him Twice. I can't tell you how many times I've had Gideon moments in my life. And here we have have shepherds sitting on the side of a hill having a Gideon moment. How many times do we need to hear the words spoken into our hearts, do not be afraid. Then it goes on and it tells about, the angel goes on and tells them about the birth of the Messiah in the city of David, Bethlehem which was the resolution to the prophecy given in Isaiah. It says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He's the Lord. And just so you know that I speak the truth, this is how you will find him. This, is, this will be a sign to you, he says. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. These angels have given the shepherds a sign to look for, giving them the ability to find the Messiah and where to, they need to look. A manger. A place these shepherds would have been very familiar and this allowed them to know that the words the angel spoke about the long-awaited Messiah were true. They will find this child, and they will find him just as the angel told them. You see, the angel saying, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what you're going to be looking for. And who expects a child to be in a manger? So when you find this child, you will know that what I speak is truth. Then more angels appear and sing the message of praise to God. Suddenly a great company, it says in verse 13, of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels tell the shepherd their message and then retreat. I find the response of the shepherds very interesting here. We're going to spend some time discussing this one. What did they do? They talked for a second, and then they were gone. In fact, the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible translated, they went with haste. In the Message Version, it says, they left running. In the KJV, they came with haste. Their response was not, hey, guys, let's discuss this idea and see what happens, and, and maybe we can, you know, create a committee about what we're supposed to do. No, they laughed. They said, what are we going to do? Okay, um, Jim, you watch the sheep. We're going. They went and they ran. There wasn't talk. They didn't, they didn't think long on this. They They just went. And it's kind of like the new Christian versus the longtime churchgoer. The new Christian will tell everyone what he or she has recently experienced in their salvation. With their forgiveness of their sins. With the, the taking off of the burden that has been their life for so long. And they will, they will tell everybody they know. Well, the longtime tur- long-timer often is like, ah, oh, isn't that cute? Good, good for you. You did good. The passion for telling people about what God has done just seems to be gone for some of the long timers. While for the new Christian, the work of grace is so fresh in his or her life and mind, they want to tell everyone about the freedom that they now have. The shepherds just experienced a surreal moment with the multitude of angels. They weren't going to stick around for an encore performance of the angel choir, they had a Messiah to visit. Imagine what it must have been like that night. It's dark. And it's dark in a way that's darker even to today's standards. It's a dark that we have to go and search for and to seek out. Anybody ever gone backpacking before? And gone into a place where just there is no light? And you step outside after the sun has gone down and you look up into the sky and you are overwhelmed. ...by the amount of stars that are in that sky. That's the dark we're talking about here. They're sitting out on a hillside. Darkness all around. Still in the air. And then bang, shiny guy appears. Talk about a life-changing experience. But then it gets better. A multitude of more shiny people show up and they sing. It's a crazy thing. And they're singing about the coming of the Messiah the moment the people of israel have been waiting for for a long long time and that time is now here and you the poor shepherd are the one to hear that news you are the one to hear it not some rich guy not some statesman no you a poor shepherd are are the people that god has chosen to tell first it's amazing Which leads to what they did next. They told everyone what they experienced. Can you blame them? I know I've had some experiences with God that have drastically changed my life, but a multitude of shiny people singing in the dead stillness in the middle of the night, about the moment my, gen- my people have been waiting for for generations, for centuries, that's something I can't even imagine. So they told everyone, and it was taken, I'm sorry, and how was it taken? It was the people were amazed. The people were amazed. And this, I believe, is why the angels revealed this message to these poor shepherds. The kingdom of God is always something different than we expect. The people of the age believed the Messiah would be a warrior, a king in the earthly sense. But instead, he came as a baby into the arms of a young girl. In fact, we see this, this theme of Christ throughout the Gospels. Every single time we see in Matthew something amazing happen, he does something. It, look, Matthew 9, he, he heals a guy. And what happens? The crowd is amazed, and they want to take him and, and force him to be their king. And what does he do? He retreats. He runs away. And you see it all the way up into the moment of when he goes into Jerusalem for Passover. Instead of, of riding into Jerusalem as a, on a horse, which at the sign was the sign of a conquering king, instead he rides in on a donkey, which to these people was a sign of a king coming in peace. Do you get the imagery there? Could you imagine a king coming in to try to conquer a city riding a donkey? You guys ever watched donkey basketball before? You ever had that opportunity? It's hilarious. People trying to control donkeys on a basketball court. They do not go where you want them to go. And so the idea of a king riding in on a donkey means, yeah, all right, he definitely isn't coming in to conquer us. Plus, they're lower to the ground, you know. But a king coming in on a horse, he's there to conquer. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. He comes in peace. This is a theme throughout the life of Jesus. Never claiming the mantle that we, the people, expected. We expected the warrior king, but no. He came as a baby into the arms of a young girl. The kingly announcement should have been presented to the royal people of the day, but instead, it's told to the poor despised shepherds on the side of a mountain late at night. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about the uniqueness of the gospel in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes, Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. If it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It was just that queer twist about it that real things have. So let us leave behind all these boys' prophecies, these over-simple answers. The problem is not simple, and the answer is not going to be simple either. So we have this expectation of the kingdom of God will be different than it actually is. We believe it to be the way our world works, where our earthly importance, our physical appearance, our wealthy status or position are what matter. Rather, the kingdom of God continues to save people based on the mercy of God alone. I was trying to figure out how to kind of bring this understanding to an end. I had three different ways that I wanted to go. And one that just kept coming to my mind was we are blessed in this day and age, more than we could ever imagine. We are blessed beyond measure, how God has, has, has given, given so much. We're blessed just by the, the fact that our birth is here in the United States. I, I love taking teens to um, countries that they've never experienced before. I had the opportunity to take a couple of of trips with teenagers to Ukraine back before the Russians invaded. Um, And uh, it was always impressive to me to watch how my teens uh, reacted. I mean, I was uncomfortable. I couldn't imagine how uncomfortable they were. Like, here's the, here's the, the gist of some of the uncomfortableness oh, there's this stuff called bulgur. It's kind of like buckwheat, kind of like uh, a oatmeal type thing, boiled wheat stuff. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and the Ukrainian people have this this uh, amazing thing that, how many grandmas had the bacon grease cup underneath, somewhere in the kitchen, Right. Ukrainians do the same thing, but it's every grease of every meat that they cook. It's all mixed together. so if it's, you know, in a stew, they kind of siphon the grease off the top, put it in the can. And then they take that and they season noodles, potatoes, bulgurt. So everything tastes the same, and it tastes like a bunch of different flavors of meat together. And then you put it on top of bulgurt, which is just... And, and, it, and, it's, it, oh. and me being a pastor, the people there wanted to make sure that I was, was blessed. And so the first time I went there and experienced bulgur, I went, I never want to do that again. And then I experienced the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And so the next time I came, I went, you know what? I know there's going to be bulgur there. I'm always, for some reason, they always set out the plates with food on them and then we come and sit down and, and eat. So I would, I would enter in the area and I would look around and I'd find the plate with the least amount of bulgur on it so I didn't have to, to swallow it because you have to eat it otherwise it's offensive. So here I am, okay, I'm gonna sit down at this plate and I sit down, it's got the least amount of bulgur on it, I'm good, alright, I can choke down a spoonful of bulgur, we're good. And then without question, one of the Ukrainian ladies who helped cook would look at my plate and go, no, pastor, and grab my plate and grab the one with the most amount of bulgur and bring it over and stick it in front of my place. And then this is an oversimplified understanding of the uncomfortableness that comes with being in a foreign country. But the crazy thing is, is we get to see things over there that make us realize how incredibly blessed we are just to be living in the United States. We were in one of the major cities in Ukraine. It's called Zaporozhye. You may have heard about it. There's some shelling going on over there right now around a very large nuclear plant. We were in Zaporozhye and and uh, we got to tour their hospital. They had one working elevator in the whole hospital. They had banks of elevators all over the place, but only one of them worked. And as we were walking around, there was mold growing on the walls. This is inside their hospital. One of the best hospitals in the country. You begin to realize how blessed we are just to be living in the place that we are. And so then the question becomes, are we the poor shepherds on the hillside? We have to ask ourselves that question. Are we the poor shepherds on the hillside? Are we the ones hearing the message of Jesus' birth? Or are we the rule keepers who, who got snubbed on the message? We're blessed. We're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the rich people. Is, is the message for us? Is the message for somebody else? Hint hint it is for us. Okay? So I want to make sure that's clear. It is for you. But I want to also keep in mind that there is there is people out there that we are called to embrace. And if you ever have to understand this passage in this theme of Luke throughout, it is that we are there to answer Jesus' call to take care of the least of these. The widow, the poor. Are we sitting in our darkness hearing the angel's proclamation terrified? Or are we hearing the do not be afraid and are we running to the side of the Messiah? I'm going to end on that question. Every single one of us is being moved by the Spirit to do something for the kingdom of God. Something we're not, we feel we're not built for. And proof of that is, I'm standing here right now talking to all of you. I have shared with several of you that I have never, ever felt comfortable speaking in this situation. I don't like speaking in public, period. But the idea of taking on the mantle of preacher and speaking God's word to other people is a responsibility that is absolutely terrifying to me. I experienced paralysis almost when I was in college, knowing that at some point I had to do a preaching class. It would keep me awake years before I had to do it. And yet, here I am. I tell you this, not to add a boy, good job you, but that we're all there. Every single one of us, God is calling us to do something that we don't feel equipped to do. But if we say yes, and we start moving in the direction God is calling us to do it, guess what? I'm standing here right now completely fine. I've shared this over and over and over again. Eight years I pastored my own church. Eight years, 52 weeks a year, I would stand up here and preach. And 52 weeks a year, I would preach completely at peace. Because the moment I stepped up to start speaking, I would feel this overwhelming sense of peace just come over top of me. I'm in that place right now. Because I said yes to God. You have in you the calling of the Holy Spirit to do something amazing for the kingdom. Something out of the norm of what you expect, right? That's how the kingdom works. The announcement should have gone to royalty, but it didn't. It went to shepherds on a hillside. So the question I have, again, is God is calling you to do something. Are we standing in darkness in the presence of a shiny angel, the Holy Spirit's leading inside of us, frozen in fear, afraid to hear the words, do not be afraid, or are we hearing and accepting and running to Christ like these shepherds did so long ago? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace. Lord, that we who are your created... In this world, Lord, that you have given us an overwhelming sense of peace and have taken on the burden of our bad decisions. Lord, you've given us an amazing, wonderful gift. But, Lord, as I've read and studied in your word so many times, this gift comes with responsibility. We get to respond to your grace by sharing that grace with others which means that we have to be uncomfortable. We have to go into places where we don't feel where we don't feel equipped. Lord, let us accept that. Let us embrace it. Let us lean into who you are and what you are calling us to be. So, Lord, we can hear the words, do not be afraid. And we are overjoyed with the presence and the ministry that you have called us to be in. And that we get to run to your side to be a part of what you're doing in this world. Lord, and through the actions, just like those, those shepherds so long ago, we can share with the world what you have done for us. That the Messiah is here and is present and is saving the world. That peace is at hand, that hope and joy and love have entered into this world in a way that has never, ever, ever happened before. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for it all. And uh, Lord, I thank that in the midst of it that we have you to walk with us and to give us strength. And so, Lord, as we end our service today, I pray that you would continue to call us ever deeper into the role in the place that you would have us serve in your kingdom. Lord, and that we would be courageous and filled with your courage to then move into that, to accept it and to go and not be stuck in fear. In your most precious name we pray, amen.